Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by, um, well, I've got a, a few of my colleagues here, uh, my two trusty co-hosts, Marissa Di Natale and Chris Dorides, and uh, also Garab Ganguly. Garab, good to have you back. Good to be back, Mark. I understand from you cold, have cold, of... From cold gray and fairly unimpressive London. Uh, well... <laughs> That, that's kind of typical this time of year, though, no? That's typical this time of year, exactly. Yeah. Well, I understand you have a it's bit of a cold, though. Good to be typical. Good, good to be typical. Yeah, typical is not bad in this day and age. I'll typical is not bad in this day and age, not at I all. I go for typical. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Well, you, you may have noticed that I didn't have my uh, typical Wawa coffee this morning. Um, oh. No, yeah. Oh, what is that? I, I know. It's uh, 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven, remember 7-Eleven? Are you doing uh, corporate sponsorships now? Are you (laughs) (laughs) on on the side? Yeah. No, you know, the the thing is this wall, I mean, I'm down in Florida. Wawa has come to Florida, I guess, because so many folks from our neck of the woods in Pennsylvania have come to Florida and it is so popular that at seven in the morning, like I was a little, usually I'm there well below before seven in the morning. Today I was a little late seven in the morning. It is so crowded. I couldn't even find a parking spot. I'm not kidding. It was like going to a rock concert or something. I wow. couldn't, couldn't. Yeah. So I, I said, I, I can't do this because I have to prepare for this podcast. So, you know, I had to come, come back and had to settle for, well, not settle, not settle. It's it's good coffee from 7-Eleven, but, you know, Wawa what? coffee. Yeah, <laughs> Wawa coffee. You don't know what I'm talking about, Rob, do you? You have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, you're talking about coffee, right? Do you have like a do you have a like a, a place to go in the morning to get coffee or do you do it at home? What do you do? Yeah, it's it's called my kitchen. Your I, kitchen. Just okay. traipse down. I just sure, traipse downstairs, right. stand on the machine, get myself a cup of coffee, traipse back upstairs, and you know, switch on my computer. You're in fine form for not feeling so well. I don't yeah, you you're you seem like you're in a good mood. Yeah, it's uh, this podcast. It brings out the best of me. So that's what it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we 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 got an action packed. Uh, we just completed, or we're in the process of completing an action packed week uh, when it comes to economic data, information, and events. So uh, I thought uh, the the headline number here in the U.S. Let's start there. GDP came out for the fourth quarter of 2022. The gross domestic product, valuable, the services that we produce, goods and services that we produce, and maybe the to give us a rundown on that, uh, I'll turn to you, Marissa. You want to give us a, a sense of uh, that report? Sure. Or yeah. and anything else you want to talk about? Go, you know, your oh, what your coffee habits are. You know, go form. ahead. Reform. The Eagles. Yeah, the, you know, we could definitely that we could definitely talk about. I don't really have much to contribute on the Eagles front. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Well, now you're yeah. drinking coffee when you're on the. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's six for o'clock you in the morning. Of course, coffee. I'm drinking. What's coffee? that all about? Come on. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, here we go. She's okay. She's preparing. I'm it was ready. Like a, it was like a, a, an aria. <laughs> she's going to sing an aria to us now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. GDP. GDP yeah. came out yesterday morning for the. It's it's the uh, preliminary release for the fourth wait, wait, quarter. Wait, wait, wait. Yesterday morning. Oh yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Take another sip, Mark. Yeah. Okay, all right. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah. in the fourth quarter, uh GDP grew 2.9% annualized. This was a little bit under what we were anticipating and a little bit 
more than consensus. So kind of split the difference. And over the year, GDP was up 1% if you do fourth quarter uh, 21 to fourth quarter 22. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take the average of the entire year, 2022 GDP rose 2.1%. And that follows an annual average in 2021 of 5.9%. So we are seeing some slowdown here. Um, the if you look Can across, I say the- just just to interject to put context. So the economy's so-called potential rate of growth, that rate of growth consistent with enough jobs to maintain stable unemployment, is we estimate most people estimate to be about two percent. So in calendar year twenty twenty two. The economy grew pretty consistent with its potential, and you saw job growth, pretty solid job growth, but sufficient to absorb the growth in the labor force. And unemployment for the year was was basically stable, maybe down a little bit through the year. Uh, and but but it, but on a fourth quarter to fourth quarter basis, uh, you got that one percent, which is half the p- potential growth of the economy. And if that if that kind of growth rate continues around one percent or less, you would expect to see. Uh, steady further slowing in job growth and unemployment starting to notch higher. So just for, just for context. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should also say for context that GDP fell in the first half of 2022, right? So the first two quarters of the year, uh, GDP was negative. And then in the third and the fourth quarters, it, it was positive. Um, in terms of the components of GDP, um, Consumption, so spending by consumers, contributed positively in the fourth quarter. Um, It grew at a 2.1% annualized pace, which is kind of on par of where it's been the past three quarters or so. Um, Government spending, government consumption expenditures also contributed positively uh, for the first time and actually for the first time in uh, a couple quarters. Um, investment, so the drags, notable notable drags on GDP growth were residential fixed investment. So this is the housing market. It's not surprising uh, given what we know is going on in the housing market with rising interest rates. So residential fixed investment was a drag on GDP growth, whereas non-res fixed investment contributed positively. Um, inventories, so the inventory swing, the change in inventories in the fourth quarter contributed almost one and a half percentage points to that growth rate. So that was a big contribution to GDP growth in the fourth quarter. Um, net exports also contributed positively to growth. So um, both imports and exports um, fell over the quarter but imports fell a bit more. The value of the dollar has been quite strong, so that's uh, been hurting exports. Um, Let's see, what else? The uh, personal consumption expenditures deflator. So that came out this morning. That is derived from the same data set, the National Income and Products Account data set. So that showed a 0.1% increase over the month in December, that this was for the month of December. Um, this is related. It's not in the yeah. GDP report, yeah. but there's, you know, we got a fourth quarter read on, on PCE in the GDP report, but I just wanted to mention this. Um, that's the same increase in December as we got in November, um, but the core PCE, so when you strip out 
uh, energy um, increase 0.3 percent. And energy and food. And food. Right. Yeah. Sorry, uh, increase 0.3 percent in December, which was a slight acceleration over the 0.2 percent increase in November. Um, let's see. Anything else to add on GDP? Well, um, I, that's a good, great rundown. Uh, the kind of the nuts and bolts of it, Chris. What's your interpretation of it? How did how did it make you feel about you know where the economy is and in where it's headed? Uh, concerning, right? It, uh, the top line looks good, two point nine percent growth. Uh, but as Marissa mentioned, a lot of that is in inventories, exports, and government spending. You strip that out and look at just uh, private domestic demand, and it's 0.2 percent, right? So I think for you know earlier in the earlier in 2022, we 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 put the caveats about inventories and exports when we had those negatives. Um, saying, oh, no, the economy is fundamentally stronger than that if you look at consumption investment. So I think we have to keep that same uh, caveat here. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can see that there is <laughs> there is weakness here. The inventory build for me is a bit of a red flag. I think that is um, uh, consumers pulling back on their potential spending uh, here. And, that, and we're also seeing some of those bullwhip effects still playing a, a role here. The weaker imports that Marissa mentioned, I also view that as consumers being more cautious in their spending. Um, so it's okay. I mean, fourth quarter, fine. It, uh, we performed, but going forward, I'm uh, I'm certainly a bit nervous about the uh, the future here in terms of what this means for the ongoing trend. Not surprisingly, I disagree. Disagree. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> as as I would say, right down the strike zone. Right. It's weak, but that's weak is what we want. Right. I mean, if the underlying trend in GDP is 1%, you know, Q4 to Q4, and, and in, the, in the fourth quarter, if you abstract from the inventory gain and the trade, as because as you say, that swings up and down and all around, it's still 1%, you know, one to one and a half, I think it was one to one and a half percent final demand. Isn't that what we want? We, we, we want below potential growth. Because we want inflation to we want unemployment to notch higher. We want inflate to get wage growth down and for inflation to subside. So if you were writing on a, if you were the Federal Reserve trying to write it again, you know what do I want exactly? What do I want in terms of growth? Wouldn't you want one percent? No. You want well again. It's about the trend and the speed. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So things are coming so, in here. Uh, Pretty fast, in my Pretty opinion. Fast. Really? Oh, okay. I, I mean, I go, man. This is just like uh, this is what I want. Exactly what I want. Now, you know, it, it feels like twenty twenty going into twenty twenty three. It's it's going to be soft growth, or you know, the economy is going to struggle, no doubt about it. But again, isn't that kind of sort of what we want? I mean, to get inflation back down. If it if the economy continues to grow at two or more than two. Then that means unemployment's not going to uh, notch higher. It means it's going to be much harder to get wage growth down. It means that inflation is going to be more difficult to get back in the bottle. So I, I don't know. It feels like we're threading the needle. I mean, I, 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 it's almost like a, you couldn't ask for a, a better number. What, what do you think, Rob? I mean, from from the perspective of Europe, uh, if you have a perspective on this. So I'd be I'd be concerned about things that's sliding pretty rapidly. 
at this point. Oh, I mean, I think... he, so he, you're on Chris's side. <laughs> uh, Damn. I, okay. I, I, I'm just going to yeah, yeah. Europe, take a European view of it because okay. it looks like things have just started looking a bit better for Europe. Um, in confidence was just so low in, in September, August, September, October, over the summer months. Everybody was so concerned about Europe not even being able to make it through the winter without having to ration gas supplies. So things have just started to turn up. So what Europe needs now is to get through winter. Weak growth is just fine. Weak growth, uh, moderating price pressures, that'll all be good. Uh, and it'll okay. help the central bank. It'll help the ECB. Now, the U.S. being you know, such a big support to global growth, if the U.S. starts to slide, that is pretty negative for Europe. Yeah, if it goes into recession, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, one yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if it just motors along, at yeah, one-ish percent, that's fine. I think. Right. Right. I'll, I'll, in all fairness, uh, I, I guess there there are parts of the num- numbers we got last week that make me a little nervous about. And I, and I should say, not surprisingly uh, nervous, because all along, it, it, you know, even under the best scenario, most you know, most uh, optimistic scenario, twenty twenty three is going to be a tough. Twenty twenty two is a difficult year. Twenty three is going to be a tough year. So you know, under any scenario, and in that kind of environment, there are going to be points in time where you are going to think, oh my gosh, this thing is falling apart, and we're going to go into recession. So it's not surprising to me. That we're starting to see those kinds of numbers, but those are the kinds of numbers we actually have to see to avoid recession, in, because we got to get inflation down without the Fed having to jack up interest rates to more, you know, more significantly. And there, but there are a couple of numbers that made me a, a little nervous about the way things are going. So, for example, a, a good example of that would be in the uh, data on today. This is now Friday. We got the uh, the uh, income uh, spending and. Uh, consumer expenditure deflator uh, information that, you know, Marissa, you were talking about. But the one thing you didn't mention was spending by consumers uh, on a real after inflation basis actually fell in December on top of a, a, a small a decline, another decline, but smaller decline in November and basically flat in October. So it feels like consumers were starting to pull back as the year, you know, came to a close and so that means coming into 2023, we're starting from a you know kind of a spot, soft spot. So and, and the key to avoiding recession here is consumers hanging uh, hanging tough. The other interesting thing, though, uh, the the positive I saw was that uh, uh, real disposable income, which is, is gotten that's that's uh, after tax income uh, after inflation. You know, that got creamed last year, right? When inflation took off, it completely undermined people's purchasing power. And that was represented in a decline in real disposable income. That's actually now turned definitively positive over the past, you know, three, four, five, I think even six months. Because inflation is now coming back in and um, we are getting, you know, still solid wage growth. So we're starting to see some real uh, gains in incomes. And that augurs well as we go into 2023 that you know their purchasing power consumers purchasing power is no longer being eroded and you know is actually you know turning positive again the other thing i i saw i think also important uh is the personal saving rate that actually rose uh in december you know it's still you know three four but you know it's it feels like it feels like the 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 decline in saving is over actually the 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 saving rate for november got revised higher from two Two four to two nine, so it feels like the kind of the drawdown in this in the saving rate that we've been you know uh, experiencing here 
for mo- most of the past year as consumers have tapped into their saving to kind of supplement their their well, weakened disposable income to continue spending, that feels like it's now uh, at hand or behind us. So um, yeah, there's some things to be nervous about here. Uh, but again, that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, this feels like exactly what would, you know, you would expect to happen, but, um, but um, you know, I, I hear you. Any, anything else in the data that you, this week that, um, you know, supports or doesn't support your view, Chris, about the economy, about uh, I guess, you know, the, uh, to level set, obviously, uh, you know, and listeners to the podcast know, but if you haven't been listening, you're very, bearish on the economy in 2023 recession in 2023 so anything else in the data that would be consistent with that kind of forecast or in, and i'm of course i'm looking for things that are consistent with that forecast uh in the in the week's data yeah it's mixed i i, I agree we're on a knife edge here right in terms of the direction and to your point the uh the data we're seeing would be what you would want if it, in terms of a, sm- a soft landing. It would also be consistent with an economy that slow is slow session. Down. Slow session. Slow my session. <laughs> that's your that's your term. Slow session. It also would be consistent with an economy that's about to go in recession as well, right? So, so that's where it's uh, it's tricky. But um, a couple other numbers that came out this week were the leading economic indicators from the uh, conference board, still down one percent. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's clearly. That is consistent with uh, previous uh, recessions, um, so that's that's concerning. That's um, largely due to new orders, consumer confidence, or expectations, I should say, uh, manufacturing, uh, employment. Right, those are all uh, dragging on those uh, leading economic indicators. Uh, the Chicago Fed National Activity Index came out this week as well, also down negative uh, 0.49. That's also uh, in re- recessionary territory as well. And again, points to some of the weaknesses we have in terms of new orders and some uh, production consumption. Um, so there, there certainly are some uh, signals out there. On the more positive side, I'd point to uh, UI claims, unemployment yeah. insurance claims, new, new new unemployment insurance claims still down mm-hmm. at very low levels, 186,000, right? So that's, that is not consistent uh, with recession. Um, but on the flip side, continuing UI claims actually rose, right? So a bit, I'm not saying they're in recessionary territory, but it does suggest that people are, um, maybe they're not, not a lot of layoffs, but people who are losing their jobs aren't finding new jobs right away. They are lingering a bit longer than they were just a few months ago. So again, I view it as uh, kind of mixed signals there. Yeah, I guess we should get used to this. I mean, I think all for yep. uh, while we're going to be in this world of lots of economic cross currents, hard to interpret, you know, which way the winds are actually blowing. Um, Marissa, I did want to ask you about the UI claims, uh, initial claims for unemployment insurance. They they're just so low. I mean, yeah. of course, that's a window into layoffs, and you, we've heard all these announced layoffs in tech and media, financial services, housing. I now I, I see it in retail. Uh, uh, just an, a lot of announced layoffs. There's always a lot of announced layoffs, but you know maybe we're hypersensitive to sensitive to it now. I'm not probably. sure, but probably. But but nonetheless, it does feel like a lot, and it, it's just not showing up in the UI claims data. Meaning, and that's that would be definitive, wouldn't it? Is there anything in the data? Is there any reason why UI claims would not be 
representative of the reality of what's going on in the labor market. I mean, we're below 200,000 easily in initial claims, uh, weekly unemployment insurance claims. And that's consistent with a just a really strong, I mean, really strong labor market, no layoffs. Anything, is there anything out there that would suggest that, that maybe the, the data is misrepresenting what's going on? If people are filing for unemployment insurance, it should show up right away. Now, there may be in certain parts of the economy where people get severance packages, and that's probably true in tech and finance, um, depending on the law in each state, you know, each each state runs its own unemployment insurance program. It could be that people aren't able to file for UI until their severance is depleted um, or for a certain amount of time after they've received severance. So it could be, this could be a delayed reaction. I was looking yesterday though at, I mean, could it just be that the job market generally is, we're hearing about all these announced layoffs, of course, they make headlines, but it could also be that the job market is strong enough that people getting laid off are able to find work quickly enough that they're not filing, they're not having to file for UI. So I was looking at the flows, the labor force flows data, which breaks down the household survey between people people moving between various statuses of employment and unemployment and out of the labor force each month. And the number of people moving from employed to employed each month, right? So they're they're just changing jobs. We don't know if they quit or they got laid off. That's still that's incredibly high relative. I mean it's 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 back above or near where it was prior to the pandemic. So that's that's the largest share of employed people is people that are switching jobs, not leaving the labor force, not being employed. So it could be that people are getting laid off, but they're finding work really mm. quickly. Mm. I guess that makes sense. I mean, that's intuitive and in certainly in the tech sector, right? I mean, because most companies yeah. that are not in the technology industry have the need for tech workers, couldn't fill those open positions because the demand for those workers was so extraordinary from the likes of Google and Meta and Microsoft and so Amazon, so forth and so on. And now that they're laying off, they're just quickly finding jobs in other companies like a Moody's or something, you know, other yeah. companies the, that need the, num- the, the number of people moving from employment to unemployment is very low and it's actually I believe fallen in the past few months. So despite right? all these layoff announcements, it's not it's not showing up in the UI claims and it's not showing up in the the household survey unemployment data either. That's not to say it won't, right? I mean, maybe there's just a bit of a delayed reaction here and as you have an accumulation of more and more layoffs, it's going yeah. as Chris's point with continuing claims if employers are pulling back on hiring, then eventually you have this backlog of people out there looking for work and, and not enough hiring to keep pace with this. So it it certainly, I think, could be a harbinger of of things to come this year. But, but to, to some degree, again, we, we, we want to see that, right? I mean, anything below 200K, it suggests the labor market's not going to cool off sufficiently to get the wage growth down to be consistent with inflation back in the bottle, back to the mm-hmm. best target. So you know, it's, it's almost like I'm rooting for you. I, it's weird. I don't like layoffs, but you know, we don't want to, we don't want to overheat and actually go into recession. Then we get a lot of layoffs. So, you know, in a kind of a typical well-functioning economy, my rule of thumb is weekly unemployment insurance claims about 250. So we're sub 200. That's rip roaring. 
we need something closer to 250. That's a pretty significant increase. Yeah. And it is, I, yeah. I would expect it to increase. So Chris, let's, uh, let me ask you, and uh, Grau, I'm going to come back. We're going to come back to Europe in just a second and also play the statistics game here. But uh, if the adjustment in the labor market to the slowing uh, that we need in the economy uh, in the labor market primarily and right now exclusively comes from less high, you know, to get, we're getting less job growth. Job growth is slowing. We know that. Yep. And it's not happening because of layoffs. We think we know that, right? But from the data. So that would ergo suggest that the slowing and job creation that we're observing is less hiring. You know, businesses aren't hiring uh, uh, you know, the, like they were. And in fact, there's some evidence in that in the data too. If you look at the job opening labor turnover survey data, that does show hirings have come down and they're back to last I looked close to pre-pandemic. If the if that's the way this market, the labor market adjusts, does that give you any more comfort that we may be able to avoid recession? You know, in my mind, it, it feels like there's a palpable difference between whether the labor market adjusts because of higher layoffs or because of less hiring. If it's if it's layoffs, that scares everybody and they pull back on their spending. If it's like their companies aren't hiring as much, that doesn't feel as scary or spooky uh, and consumers kind of hang in there. Is that Does that resonate with you or do you have a different perspective on that? Yeah, it's it's certainly uh, consistent or more consistent with the, the soft landing scenario, right? If we just pull slow back- Slow session, Chris, slow, slow session. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the irony is that's your term, slow session. Slow right? session, uh, yeah. yes. Yes, it is consistent with the slow session. We pull all the- uh, the openings slow down the hiring, right? Um, and we kind of make our way through this, and then open ourselves up for some additional hiring in the future. Uh, and that would be good for confidence. However, I, I do think you know if, if uh, new labor market entrants are not able to to get in because the hiring slows substantially, right? You will have some negative uh, confidence impact. So there's a balance here as well, right? You don't want to go too far. Right. If no one can get a job, but there's no layoffs, that's still not a great situation uh, to be in either. So I think we still need to be nervous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah and yeah. we're one well, yeah. we're right. one shock away still from uh, from right. going right in. So that's right. that's the basis of my uh, my outlook here. Yeah. But okay. yeah, definitely better to not have layoffs and just pull back on hiring than the opposite. Okay. But you Let's always have layoffs. I mean, it's it's all about magnitude and magnitude. balance, right? I mean, that's right. There's that's always right. churn going on. There's always layoffs. There's always employers pulling back on hiring. It becomes a problem when the 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 hiring can't keep pace with the with the layoffs. So even if it's even if it's a small small-ish number of layoffs, if if hiring slows below where it normally would be at that point in the business cycle, you're going to have negative job, right? You're, you're going to have net negative job loss. So it's, it's just about these, these things have to be in balance. I, I think, right. I mean, you always have this sort of churn yeah. in the economy. It's just, can the hiring absorb the people that are being laid off regardless of how many people there are? Yeah. Yeah, yeah hey, it's a uh, question of degree, right? That's yeah. That. Hey, Karav, uh, you know, one thing that I've always found kind of fascinating is uh, the conversations that we're having here in the U.S. around the economy are almost always 
similar to the conversations you're having there in the UK. Uh, it, 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 are, are these conversations we're having similar to the kinds of conversations you're having there about the economy and what's going on in the economy? Uh, yeah, probably a bit more somber. But I think before I even bit more pick, up, okay. before I pick up on that question, I was just say, you know, just tell you what I'm thinking right now. Uh, yeah, sure. Give you a bit of emotional outpouring from listening to you guys speak <laughs> almost. So I spent I spent all of last year worrying about you know, NATO being dragged into a war, about geopolitical fallout from the Russian conflict into mainland Europe, about changing political tides and and a new Cold War emerging. I worried about um, Putin weaponizing gas, Europe actually running out of gas, a, a, a really cold winter, people freezing at homes. I'm now worrying about, what, what's that word again? Slow session? Slow uh, session. Slow session. Slow session. I, I, yeah. I've got to try and No, no recession. You know, yeah. No recession. We're not going backwards. We're you know not a broad-based decline in activity. But the economy is really not going anywhere fast. Therefore, slow session. So slow session. So if I now have to worry about slow session, perhaps getting a little bit worse, and those winds buffeting Europe, I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's all yeah. it's all relative, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So that's that's what I wanted to say. That was really the emotional outpouring from listening to you guys speak. Well, that I well, think that's actually I, quite I expected a tears or something. I mean that that wasn't that emotional. Yeah, that's <laughs> a British emotional. Maybe yes, that's British, British, that's British emotional. emotional. Yeah, yes, exactly. Crying on the inside. Yeah, crying on the inside. I'm crying on the inside. That was emotional. I'm, I'm just choking up. I'm just choking <laughs> okay, up. That's funny. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. Going back to your question uh, about the similarity between, I guess, the UK and the US, it's a bit more somber here, right? Mm. And that also relates to the legacy of previous administrations and the messes they've left behind. The policy mistakes that have occurred, not not just not just in 2022, but going back to the Brexit referendum, all of that sort of um, really taken a bit of a sledgehammer to the structure of the UK economy and knocked off a bit, knocked a bit of potential growth and made the UK that much weaker. So right now, looking at what's going on, on the one hand, it feels yes, it's a bit similar to the US. You, we could survive all of this without too much damage. So it's not so much a slow session as perhaps it's a bit, bit, it's a bit south of slow session, if you like. Uh, it may not be terribly bad. So the Bank of England, for instance, in its November monetary policy report, um, was you know just forecasting doom and gloom. It was going to be a eight quarter recession, right, from twenty twenty end right. of this end of last year out to um, sometime in twenty twenty four. Can I say that's, that's just that's just an amazing thing that the central bank, the Bank of England, has a explicit. We're, we're in recession and we're going to be there for a long time. For a long forecast. period of time, exactly. So it actually made that call. Now, part of it was probably communication about other policy actions that it would prefer to have seen. Um, but that was that was the kind of message coming out. And in fact, I was in a client call just this week and people were asking me if I was still thinking about a two-year recession. And I said, well, I'd never been in that camp. I don't think it was ever going to be that bad, uh, certainly not after the administration changed. It sort of became pretty apparent pretty quickly that a two-year recession was perhaps not, 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 not on the cards. But I did think that the UK would have a, a fairly shallow recession that could last about three to four quarters, starting from the third quarter of last year. And surely enough, in the third quarter, GDP contracted. Uh, I thought GDP would contract again in the fourth quarter, maybe then slightly start to stage a comeback in Q1 and Q2, you know, be marginally negative. So that kind of a recession. And now it looks like, well, we might just escape some of that. It might Q4 might be flat. Q1 might still be negative. PMIs came out earlier this week and 
UK PMI showed the service sector plummeting again. Uh, people are still feeling the strain from the high, very high energy bills over winter. So possibly Q1 will be negative, but that just means a sort of a bumpy economy bumping up and down. Q3 negative, can, can Q4 say, probably flat, Q1 a bit negative. That's a lot can better. I, can I say, Gaurav, that sounds like a slow session to me. That sounds like a slow session, yes. <laughs> right, Chris? It's kind it of does. sort of... It sounds like a slow session. That's kind of what your slow session. That's what kind of what you're thinking for the U.S., isn't it, Chris? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of bumping along, maybe a little bit more negative than positive. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's a recession, as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research, it'll be a very modest one. You know, very by by historical standards. Hey, Gaurav, uh One thing though that uh, I have felt you now, and this is. Zandy emotion uh, is uh, that uh, the European economic scene feels a lot better than it did just a month, two, three, four ago. That, you know, it, we're now even thinking that continental Europe may not even actually go into recession, right? I mean, it, it, do I have that right? I mean, that you know, things are feeling a lot better. I mean, they're not great, obviously. Things are, there's a, it's a struggle, but it's, Definitely not kind of the doom and gloom that you know seemed to be pervasive just a few months ago. Is that, yeah, is this, that a fair characterization? The sort of doom and gloom we saw in August, September, October, that was really exceptional. Uh, the falls in consumer confidence, business confidence, uh, tightening of credit standards, the plummeting, plummeting of um, you know, people's intentions to buy houses a year ahead, all that kind of stuff. Um, Every month we were thinking the ECB would be more and more aggressive, or would need to be more and more aggressive, and, and peaks in, in inflation were being pushed out every month and, and were higher. So that's changed. That's changed. I mean, inflation looks like it really has peaked. Um, energy price declines have been tremendous. It's just absolutely meteoric decline in, in, in energy prices. In fact, if I... I looked at European gas prices this morning. They were trading, the day ahead price was trading at roughly 55 euros a megawatt hour. Mm. And that's below 75 euros per megawatt hour two days before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Wow. And that's well below the 350 euros per megawatt hour at the peak in July when Nord Stream 1, a principal pipeline from Russia into Germany, was shut down by Russia. So that's a tremendous decline in 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 gas prices in Europe. And of course, as you know, the gas price in Europe trades quite differently to the gas price in North America because of the regionalization of these markets in Europe has traditionally relied so much more on Russia for gas. Uh, so Europe's managed to turn itself around. It's pretty much offset the entire decline in import of Russian gas over the course of 2022 with LNG imports. Looks so much so gas. that right now it yeah. has a lot of gas in storage. It pumps all that extra gas in summer into storage and draws down over winter, and it's got a lot of gas in storage. So, yes, got, things got feel little, better. You got a little, we all got a little lucky because the winter was has been warm so far, not only in Europe, but here in, in North America as well, and that really helped out quite a bit, I think. At this point, I'm not going to complain about a little bit of luck. Yeah, yeah November yeah. November, November yeah. was was pretty mild. There was a cold snap in December, another cold snap just now, uh, but none of that's... Um, dented gas storage. In fact, the way it looks right now, I would forecast that Europe will get through winter. So by the time it emerges from into spring in the middle of April, there could well be 40 to 45% of gas left in storage, so in the buffers. And that will make next year's replenishment so much easier. Right. We also got lucky with China, right? Being yes. Good point. Good. Yeah. Bad for them, 
good for, yeah. for everyone else. As as China reopens here and goes into gear, do you see that having impact on those energy prices? Once again, are we just delaying? Some, to to uh, some extent, yes, but it would be much worse if Europe emerged with 25% gas in storage. Fair enough, yeah. Well, one other, and I think Chris has put his finger on the thing that makes me most nervous here in the near term is energy prices going back up. And one way that could happen is China gets back online maybe the spring, summer after everyone you know, if they, they get through this round of illness that they're suffering through, the COVID illness that they're suffering through. And of course, China is a huge consumer of oil and all commodities, and that would lift price. So I worry about that. And then on top of that uh, is, you know, the, we're, we're still, Russia is still a problem. And, you know, the EU, the European Union, UK, US, Canada, other developed economies are still imposing different types of sanctions on Russia and Russian oil and natural gas. And the, the, what's coming up next, correct me if I'm wrong, but is uh, this uh, cap on uh, on uh, uh, prices for refined products. So we now have a cap in place on crude that Russia produces. And that really has been digested by global markets, at least so far, reasonably gracefully. And again, that might go back to the lack of Chinese demand, but it seems so far that's worked pretty well. Any concern because this affects Europe more than it does the U.S. About refined product, you know, diesel would be, you know, comes to mind immediately. Yeah, diesel comes to mind immediately. Uh, mitigant on the on the mitigating side, Europe's been buying a lot of diesel, stockpiling a lot of diesel for the last few months, actually from Russia, well ahead in anticipation of the embargo coming in in early Feb. So that does give um, some cushion. And I, from what I can see, um, it's been buying diesel from other parts of the world as well, from Asia, from the US, and refining throughput seems to be up. So again, there's hope that actually this will become, this will be fairly graceful. Russian diesel might go to other places and diesel from other places might come to Europe. That said, I've noticed in recent weeks that um, diesel spreads have started to rise. Now, some of that might also be to do with dissipating nervousness around the European recession and the view changing to the European. What is that again? Slow session? Slow uh, session. So, slow yep. session. So it could be because of that. Um, but it's not It's not rising fast enough so far to cause immediate concern. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, Europe, uh, slow session, UK maybe ultimately defined as a recession. The continent, the European, uh, the the eurozone. At this point, do you think we actually go into a a, a, a full blown recession or or not? We're going to sort of skirt along here and, and avoid an outright economic downturn. Well, I've actually reduced. I'd reduced my you know subjective probability of eurozone recession quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think two months ago I would have said it's close to seventy five percent that the eurozone mm -hmm. goes into recession over the next twelve months. Um, I'd say that's come down by roughly 10 percentage points. Okay, so still more likely than not a recession. Still more likely than not. There's a lot of, so I was looking at yeah. the credit conditions, credit conditions in the Eurozone this morning. They're still pretty negative. Right? Mm -hmm. um, credit standards for loans to corporates, uh, housing related loans, unsecured credit, all getting tighter. Mm -hmm. um, so that's still, the, that's still the case. ECB is likely to set a terminal rate of 3.75%, at least that's what we think, but it could easily be 4%. That's going to take mm -hmm. a knockout of housing later on um, in 2023, early 24. So there are still a lot of, lot of headwinds to confront. 
Yeah. Okay. Hey, let's play the game, the statistics game. Uh, and of course, the game is uh, we all put forward a, a statistic. The rest of us tries to figure that out. Questions, clues, deductive reasoning. The best statistic is one that's not so easy. We all get it immediately. Not so hard that we never get it. And bonus, uh, if it's uh, apropos to the conversation at hand, the, the recent economic data. So with that as a preface, uh, preface, I think it's tradition for me to call on Marissa first. Marissa, you're up. Is it tradition? I think I made it tradition. Oh, it's tradition okay. now. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So my number is negative 287,000. I know what it is. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. And I, and I want multiple cowbells when I tell you what this number is. Are you ready? Are you, Chris, do you, do you, Chris, do you, you want to bow to me right now before I even tell you what the number is? Oh, I hope you get He's it wrong. Gonna, I can see. What are you doing over there, Chris? Getting the cowbell. Oh, getting the cowbell. I have, I have one too. Oh, you got cowbell. Rob, do you have a cowbell? I have, no I'm cowbell. Not that I don't have a cowbell. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right, we got to export one to him. I, I can I can play a tune on my phone. Okay. It's the uh, business employment dynamic survey decline in employment in Q2 2022. You got it. I don't hear cheers. I don't hear. I just. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. Okay. That's a, that's a, actually, that's a really good statistic, but, um, cause that's been bothering me all week as you can imagine, but, uh, you know, go, go ahead. Let, let the group know what that's all about. Yeah. So this is, this is the business employment dynamics survey, which is, is a um, it, it's taken from unemployment insurance records. So we've talked a lot on the on the podcast about um, when we talk about the benchmark revisions that the payroll, the monthly payroll survey gets. Those benchmark revisions come from a complete count of employment um, based on employers <clears throat> filing unemployment insurance tax records with the government and. The bed data are a subset of that. So it's pretty much the entire universe, except it excludes some categories like personal households, and it's just the private sector. It doesn't include government. So um, it showed that on net, employment fell by 287,000 in the second quarter of 2022. So this was a, this was a while ago, right? This is a lag data point, but... It's interesting because we talk a lot about this. How do we make sense of what's going on in the job market? Are the numbers really reflecting what's actually going on? I know the layoff conversation we just had is, is more about recent data, but this also is consistent with what we've seen from state QCW data. If you recall, we talked about this a few weeks ago that uh, I think it was, was it the Philly Fed that did a report on um, state data from this data set. And they also showed a decline in employment in the middle of last year. So this basically is a June, 2022 count of employment. So this, if this is, if this is indicative of the way the job market had played out, um, in the middle of last year, this would be the first net decline in employment that we've seen since the, the worst of the pandemic since, you know, March or April of 2020, um, so it's it's definitely something that makes me a bit worried about what the 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 data will look like when it's revised. You know, maybe the job market isn't quite as strong as we think that it is. Yeah, I I'm I'm so confused by it. Um, 
I mean, I mean, I think the evidence is clear that the payroll employment data that we look at every month, it's been slow and the rate of growth has been slowing. The monthly increase has been slowing, but still very strong that that will be revised lower. I think that that feels like for 2022. Yeah. Well, in that period, you know, that you're talking about kind of summer of 22. And by the way, that would be kind of lines up sort of consistent with the decline in GDP in the first quarter of last year. Um, You saw that uh, decline in typically you would see employment weakness reflecting that, although this, this seems inordinate relative to the small decline in GDP, but nonetheless, but it, you know, if you look at how they, the, the the beds data, uh, the um, uh, employment dynamic survey data gets to that number, it's because of a large increase in gross job loss. So the net change in jobs is gross job creation, you know, at new companies and at existing companies, and then less gross job loss at companies that are going out of business and ones that are contracting. And all of all of it was the the the, the number of gross job gains did not change in the quarter. That was, you know, typically strong. It's just so we saw this big jump in gross gross job loss, both at firms that are failing, but also at firms that uh, you know, existing firms that are contracting their, their labor force. But then how, how, that with no layoffs, I mean, what, uh, how do you explain, I mean, how do you square that circle? And here's the other thing, the unemployment rate continued to decline through that period. So how do you square that circle? You know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, the data is so, there's so many cross currents in the data. And it's, so I'm almost wondering and I'm sure there's data problems. Every single data point we're looking at now has got a problem. There's a problem. There's a seasonal adjustment problem. There's a survey-based problem. There's a problem. And so we got to take everything with a grain of salt. But you know that particular number, I just I can't square it with you know what all the other information in in the in the labor market. Wrong, right? Am I missing something? Uh, well, just to to add a little bit about what you said about the gross job gains, gross job losses. So actually, the number of job gains at new establishments rose over yeah. the quarter. So the and the hiring or the job gains at existing companies fell. The job losses were widespread. There was still a gain. Industry. It just wasn't as big a gain as the previous quarter. That's right. It was a, yeah. that's right. It's a yeah. slowdown, I guess, in, in hiring, in job, job creation. creation. That's yeah. right. Still a gain, six and a half million yeah. jobs, yeah. right? The, the thing I wonder about, and I haven't dug into this, and maybe we should, is the count of establishments, you know, this, this opening and closing of new businesses that takes a little while to show up in the official government data. Could that be part of the puzzle? Are there more, um, you know, has there been a slowdown in new business creation or a pickup in closing businesses that's not being captured? The BLS has this birth death model is what they call it, where they try to impute the number of closing and new businesses every month in the payroll survey. And we know that during business changes in the business cycle, that can be trickier to do. Um, we, you know, another thing I, I think about is we talk about construction, like why don't we see job losses happening in the construction industry, given what we know about the massive decline in residential 
construction on the housing side, right? That's also an industry that again, in recessions is notoriously has huge benchmark revisions because there's a lot of undocumented work. There's people working at multiple job sites. The record keeping in that industry can be bad. So there's things that we know that we've seen in past business cycles with the data that is sort of notoriously difficult to pinpoint. And maybe at some point next year, this will all come out in the wash. But I, I don't know. I wonder if it's something about tracking openings and closings. Yeah, I mean, I'm mean, sure that's part of it. I just can't square it with the uh, and of course the unemployment rate comes from a totally different survey, the household survey. But but nonetheless, I you know, wouldn't we see uh, anyway? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's 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 that seems marginal, right? No if layoffs. Talking, yeah, I mean, I mean uh, it just I don't know how to square uh, all the day. I will say though, if I were at the Federal Reserve, you know, looking all at all this data, I'd be saying to myself, hey. The, you know, I've been waiting for job growth to slow, and it it probably has slowed pretty significantly here. And wage growth, the slowing in wage growth does now feel more consistent with this uh, this downward revision that we're going to get in the employment data. So it's all that that makes sense to me. So if I were sitting at the Fed, I'd be saying, "Hey, this is a I'm I'm pretty close to wanting to pause on interest rate hikes because it does feel like this economy." is starting to you know come in here and we don't want it to slow and we don't want it to go into you know negative territory anyway uh, that was a good that was a really good one uh grav can i turn to you next um i have a i have a bad feeling about your statistic that is just going to be way too hard for us to figure out you're on mute by the way well i can't give you the one i really wanted to give you because i've given the game away already by talking about european gas prices so it was 55 dollars that's 55 dollars yeah well 55, i could have excuse me that euros yeah yeah, yeah i could have euros. made some points on, 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 on currency but yeah so i was going to give you that one but how, how about how about 50.22 that's the 50, number that came out 50.22 is is that a pmi number it's a pmi number exactly spot on i i, I just want everyone to recognize <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, go ahead. It, actually, that's not that hard. Anything that is around yeah, it's 50, not that hard. Around PMI. Yeah. PMI. Yeah, exactly. Okay, explain. Uh, I should have. I should have given it in natural logs or something. Yeah, know. you should have. <laughs> <laughs> Elucidate us. Why, what's yeah. going on? With, what so what is that number, and what is it saying? So that's the Eurozone Composite PMI, which came out earlier this week. PMI uh, being purchasing managers. Being the purchasing managers index and composite being um, some the sort of the combination of manufacturing and services. So it's a forward-looking view of, or rather mostly a coincident view of where the economy is at right now and somewhat of a forward-looking view of people's expectations. And the fact that it hit, it came in at 50.22 was notable because it declined below 50 in, in July of last year. And, it, and in fact, for the second half of last year, it stayed below 50. So this just goes back to that story I've been narrating about how things seem to be on the up in the Eurozone. Uh, maybe not hugely up, but uh, possibly the tide is turning. In, in, can I ask that 50.2? Is that both manufacturing and service combined? Yeah, that is right. that is manufacturing, manufacturing is still yeah. in recession. I manufacturing is still in recession. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, if I talk about the UK very briefly, um, so while service sector PMI improved in the eurozone, it actually fell in the UK, and hmm. so pointing to perhaps harder times ahead for the UK compared to the relative to the eurozone. Hmm. But yeah, um, 
manufacturing is still definitely negative in the eurozone things like car production they're doing they're doing better uh, definitely doing a lot better but still quite far below the averages that so monthly car production in germany for instance it's still reasonably below the pre-pandemic average still backlogs that have to be sorted out and i think chris isn't because you've pointed to this statistic for the u.s and it's actually weaker in the u.s than it is in europe right yeah i mean it's it's below 50 50, which is the threshold right below 50 that's recession uh, historically and we're below 50 on this index right correct in the u.s boy that that feels weird too doesn't it no but yeah yeah it just feels weird okay there's so much weirdness Maybe that's the title of this podcast. We've got to get weird in there somehow. That's all weird. Um, anyway, let's do one more. We're, we're the, the this podcast was supposed this part of the podcast was supposed to be short, but you know it's it turned out to be a, a lengthy podcast. So let's do one more. Chris, you're up. Two point three percent. Okay, and I got to uh, make it hard for you, right? Two, oh, you're making it hard for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is well, it, it's a reported number? It's a reported it's number. Hard. Yes. Is, is it related to GDP? No. Is it related to the the data that came out on Friday morning, the consumer spending income data? Nope. No. Ooh. Came okay. out yesterday. It came out yesterday. Marissa, do you know what came out uh, yesterday? GDP no. came at two point. It's not in the GDP number. UI claims it's not anything related to UI that I can think of, right, Chris? Nope. No. Um, nope. uh, think of me. Housing. Housing. Yes, housing. New home. Something related to new home sales. New home sales. Monthly month, increase. In, month of what is it? Monthly increase in uh, new home new sales. New sale. Percentage increase. Percentage increase. It's funny. I never uh, look yeah. at the percentage increase in sales. Do you? I know. I, that's why. Oh, I, that, oh, oh, yeah. There you go. You know me well. You know if me I well. I said sixteen, six hundred sixteen thousand. That I would have gotten. You got yeah. it right away. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So it's positive. It's the third consecutive month of a positive gain. So it's not huge, but uh, and year over year, housing new home sales are still way down, twenty seven percent. But maybe it's a sign of some stabilization here. Maybe the we're reaching bottom here and. Again, we'll bump along for a while, um, but perhaps it won't get much worse than this. Yeah. Hey, that reminds me, we got the uh, Moody's Analytics Repeat Sales House Price Index. It's a new index that we construct based on actual transactions. And we've got it early for the month of December. So we were looking at transactions, home sales through month of December. Do you want to let people in on that one? Uh, That I found a bit surprising. Yeah, positive 0.1% mm. month over month. So um, again, we're seeing a little bit of uh, perhaps consolidation in the housing market there. It's uh, it's always a bit of a push-pull, right? Uh, buyers and sellers react to each other as the market goes forward. So you wouldn't expect prices to go all you know straight down or straight up. There's always this um, tug of war that goes on. But yeah, it, it, perhaps uh, some improvement in the mortgage rates, uh, spurred some buying as well, but uh, you know, housing is clearly uh, in recession, but it, it the uh, the damage may be slowing slowing down here. So, so, so our our uh, index and is consistent with other house price measures. Peaked in yep. July, fell pretty s- significantly in August, and even more in September. But since then, October, November, December, it's been you know basically flat. The flat. December number was a small point one, is yeah. basically. 
not going anywhere. So, and it's down only one, not even quite, but one percentage point since the peak in July. And in our baseline outlook, which doesn't even include a recession, we have house prices coming down, you know, I think not quite 10% peak to trough. Are you, does, does this recent data make you think that maybe perhaps we're overly pessimistic about what kind of house price declines we're going to get? Uh, possibly, but I'm not, okay. I'm not ready to to make a revision because mm-hmm. you do see certain states are, you know, California and Arizona are, are falling pretty fast. Uh, yeah. here. Um, Texas had a bit of a bump in, uh, in December. That's a re- that's part of the reason why the U S as a whole improved. So I see it. I, I, st- I still, you know, subscribe to this tug of war story here. You know, there's still a lot of script to be written here. Rates are moving around, right? They've got some relief here, but there's, you know, a pretty good chance that rates may bump back up uh, for a while here. And if you look at our overvaluation, then index, the U.S. as a whole remains quite overvalued with prices substantially higher than uh, than incomes or the that ratio is, is substantially higher than usual. So I still think we're going to get some corrections here. Um, but it it is possible that they're not quite as large. So I, you know, I look at the range, I would think five to 10% range peak to trough makes sense. It's possible that we are on the lower end of that range, but there's still a lot of a script to be written here a lot. As we get into the spring selling season in particular, we'll get a better handle of what, what the underlying demand and supply truly is. Yeah. I mean, I keep coming back to affordability. I mean, yeah. if you, if you calculate the monthly payment on a, a home, if I'm a, a, you know, buying the median priced home and I'm the household earning the median income at prevailing mortgage rates, the current monthly payment is still really high, you know, as a share of my total income and to uh, kind of restore affordability so that we get a pickup in demand, home sales, home sales are, you know, rock bottom. Yep. One of three things or a combination of three things has to happen. Interest rates have to go down and you know, maybe they go down a little bit, but they're not too far away from where we'd expect them to be in the long run. Second, incomes have to rise, but that's a pretty heavy lift in the current environment with the job market slowing and wage growth rolling over. So we're not, we're going to, you know, if, even if we don't go into recession, if we go into recession, incomes decline. If we don't go into recession, even then it's going to be weak. So that's, that leaves right. you with lower house prices, right? I mean, now it could take a while because there's no inventory because you've got homeowners out there that have mortgages with a mortgage rate of say three, three and a half, four percent doesn't make much economic sense for them to move and go get a mortgage at six percent or six and a half percent. But things, life happens, right? You know, people do become unemployed. People do get divorced. People do, there's death, you know, there's, you got to change because of life circumstance, you're getting older. So those, at some point, those sales have to occur and once that starts to happen and accumulate, and it may be even pen up life. Oh, that's a that's a great term, I think. You know what I mean by that? Pen up life. People, life events are happening, but people don't want to put the home on the market now in this environment. So they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, and you got this pen up life happening. And at some point they say, Oh my gosh, I've, you know, I've I've just got to I gotta move. And you could see inventories pick up and prices decline. Does that does that kind of does that logic kind of resonate? It does, and and yeah, okay. If you look at our forecast, right, that uh, peak to trough decline you mentioned is not immediate, right? We have it uh, extending out over the course of the next two years, right? So it's 
it's uh it's a process. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. It's gonna, it's gonna, so we're sticking to our guns here, still down, depending on the index, five to ten percent, you know, peak to trough, you know, something right, like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh let's end the conversation with our um probabilities of recession just quickly. Uh Garav, you gave us yours for Europe. You're at sixty five percent. I said probability of Euro of sixty five, sixty six, sixty five, sixty seven, yes. Of Eurozone. Yeah. UK, we're kind of already in recession, sort of, I so, guess. Sort of, yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm not right. going to change that yet. And do you have a view on the US, and, and you can have a, a view on the US if, if it's 50% or lower probability in the US? If, if it's over 50%, you, you can't have a view. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. I think it's over, over 50%. Okay. I've got to say it. Right? Right. I've got to say it. <laughs> okay. okay, fair enough. Do, do you have a view? Do you have a yeah, view? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, I'd place it at maybe 10 percentage points below the Eurozone. So 55 then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, anything you want to add? Any color on that you want to add? Or just leave it as is? is I'll, I'll, I'll leave it as is. And, microphone and drop. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was pretty good. Okay. All right, 55. Because I, I think that's where, Marissa, you are. Are you still at 55? I'm at 50. I've been at 50 the past Oh, you're 50. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. You're back down to 50. Okay. Because at your peak, you were at 65, I believe. Yeah. And now you're down to 50. So you, yeah. and nothing changed in this last week or so, because you weren't here last week as well, or the last couple of weeks, your views have not changed. No, I mean, this, this week doesn't make me feel great, um, but I'm going to stick with 50. I'm not going to let one week of data whipsaw me. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and Chris, you, you are at 66%. 65. Yeah, two thirds, one third. Yeah. Two thirds, one third. And that you <clears> not, you not deviated from that. Not budging there, but maybe I'll throw a wrinkle for next yeah. time. I think yeah. I, we're out of time here, but yeah. uh, may, I, I would say let's go with three categories, recession, oh. slow session, mm. and uh, potential growth or normal well, growth. That, okay. I don't know. Right. Yeah, because you're going to say- Slow session, recession. Yeah. I think that- yeah. uh, it's, it's hard. You see how he's trying to blur things here? You know, I feel it. That's, I feel it's, it's more precision. I'm trying to get <laughs> <Okay>. more precision. <laughs> well, let's let's talk that over because that yeah, right. yeah maybe maybe we should do something like that. And of course, I'm still at fifty percent with the with a bias towards uh, below fifty because our baseline mm. continues to hold. Slow session, economy going nowhere, unemployment notching higher, but but no outright downturn at least as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Okay, anything else, guys? You want to bring up before we call it a podcast? Rob, anything? Yep. Okay. Very good. Uh, well, thanks everyone for joining and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care now. <laughs> <laughs>